Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website can be found at www.scriptureandprophecy.com. Well, we're looking for some wisdom and some encouragement to start our week. We're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 95, Hebrews chapter 3, and we're also continuing our study in the epistles. Um, So we're looking at James chapter 2 today. Now, today's readings are going to be a little more convicting. Uh, They're not going to, the scriptures don't really let you off the hook today with being lazy or thinking that your actions don't matter. If anything, what we're covering today reinforces that point that I make often that what you do demonstrates and proves what you really believe. And James is going to make that point very sternly in James chapter 2 today. But we're going to start with Psalm 95, which is only... 11 verses, which will lead us into Hebrews chapter 3, and then we'll get to James after that. So, without further delay, let's make sure we can get to everything in a timely manner. Psalm 95, King James Bible, of course. Verse 1. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his and he made it and his hands formed to the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long I was grieved with this generation, and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. All right, there's Psalm 95. And a pretty famous verse right there, right? Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. God takes it serious when he's calling you and you harden your hearts and you don't obey and you don't believe. Let's read that part again. Again, Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. As in the provocation, and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. He's comparing it to how the Israelites behaved in the wilderness. He performed these incredible miracles, time after time after time. The feeding from heaven, the manna, the watering from the rock, the splitting of the Red Sea, the plagues that were judgments that were poured out upon Egypt, yet they did not touch any of the Hebrews. Like he did all these works and yet their hearts still were hardened. Yet they still chased after idols. And yet they still hardened their hearts and were stiff necked and didn't believe and they died in the wilderness. They did not enter into the promised land. They did not enter into his rest. There comes a point when you've ignored the call of the Holy Spirit one too many times. As we're going to see in 
Hebrews chapter 3. Let's go ahead and take a look at that as it just is this whole chapter 3, which is not very long, builds on this whole idea here that we're talking about. So here's what Hebrews chapter 3 says. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our, of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast to the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm until the end. Let's stop for just a second. Here's one of those words, if. It's a, it's a word that, is, that it seems like the modern church wants to ignore, wants to pretend that isn't in the Bible. But there's a lot of do this, if, this, right? He says, but Christ as the son of his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast to the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm until the end. He's saying, you are part of this if you actually finish the race, right? If you actually persevere in faith till the end. Now, verse 7, which connects to the psalm we just read. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So we have here a direct quote of Psalm 95. Verse 11, So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Let's read that verse again. He just got done quoting Psalms about how you, if, you, if you hear his voice, today is the day, right? Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily. Listen. This is, a, this is a, a commandment of the scriptures over and over that you are not to forsake the gathering of and assembling of yourselves for the purpose that you need to exhort one another on a daily basis, especially all the more as we see the day approaching. And again, here in Hebrews, it's saying something similar. He says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through a deceitfulness of sin. You see, you need that daily feeding. You need to be exhorted daily. That's why I think podcasts like this are so important. It gets out three, at least three days out of the week. Lord willing, I'm trying to exhort you. 
I'm trying to feed you because we all need it every single day. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through a deceitfulness of sin, for we are made partakers of Christ. Oh, here comes that word again. For we are made partakers of Christ if, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end. The writer of, of Hebrews thought it important to point it out more than once that you got to finish, right? Now look at verse 15. While it is say, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. Wait a minute, what? For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all came out of Egypt by Moses. Is it possible that the writer of Hebrews here is saying that they didn't all leave? They didn't all come out of Egypt? For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So here, it's really focusing on belief and persevering to the end. Okay? You have to believe. If you have an evil heart of unbelief, of doubt, that's sin. He says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you that have an evil heart of unbelief, departing from the living God. That's why, and then he goes on to say, this is why it's important. Exhort one another daily. While it is called today, lest there be any of you who be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You see, sin hardens the heart. And it quenches the Holy Spirit. What seems like a little sin, you know it's a sin. You, you try to avoid it, but then you kind of let it trickle back into your life. And before you know it, it becomes a big sin, and it no longer even seems like a big deal to you. You've quenched the Spirit, and you've been deceived by the hardiness of your heart and by the deceitfulness of sin. You have to be partakers with Christ and hold fast to the end. Now, while this focuses on the belief aspect, James is going to focus on the works that must accompany belief. Let me say that again. He's focusing on the works that must accompany belief. In other words, the proof is in the fruit. Do not say, I am a disciple of Christ and bear no fruit. You lie. There must be works. The works do not save you. The works are the evidence of your salvation. Do you understand? Because people try to get that confused. Oh, we're saved by faith. True. But true faith brings forth fruit. Let's look. James chapter 2. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons? For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, 
and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in the good place. And say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? James is saying, when somebody comes into your assembly, your church, your gathering, and they're all decked out in fine clothing, and it's clear that they have money, don't give them special treatment. Don't say, here, sit up front, and then say to the person who can't afford that stuff, say to them, sit in the back or sit at my feet. Do you not know that God has chosen the poor? Verse 6. But you have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before judgment seats? I mean, think about even today. Who oppresses the culture? The mega rich, right? They oppress the culture. They... they manipulate laws with their wealth so that they can monopolize and abuse the people even more. They're also the very ones that'll drag you before a judge who will, who they have the money and the resources to hire lawyers to sue those who can't even afford to defend themselves. James is saying, are these the people you want to exalt? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if you have your respect to persons, you commit sin, and are convinced of the law of transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, is guilty of it all. For he that said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art a tra become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, do, and so do, as they shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoices against judgment. That's just a theme in the scriptures. If you show mercy, you'll be shown mercy. But if you're not merciful, then you will not be shown mercy. You want more mercy in your life? Demonstrate more mercy to other people. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here comes the test of good works that James is talking about, starting with verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be you warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Did you catch what he's seeing here? He's saying, If you have a brother or sister, and they don't even have the necessary needs to sustain life, and you just say, I'm going to pray for you. Depart in peace, it's going to be okay, just have faith. He's saying, what does that profit? 
What does that profit? And think about the person. They have physical need and you're saying, well, just I'll pray for you. No, there needs to be a work involved. People need to clothe that person, provide food for that person. That's true faith lived out. Let me read verse 16 again. And one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show you my faith by my works. James is saying, yeah, you might say, look, I have faith, and then there's nothing to prove that. But look at me. I'm going to prove what I believe by what I do. Then look at verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. He's saying, you think it's such a big deal that you believe that there's only one God? Even the devils believe that. Even the, even the demons know this. But, verse 20, Will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? James is really keeping it real, as they say. He's being like, that's great. You believe there's one God? Good. Even the devils believe that. But what are you doing to demonstrate your faith? Where's the proof? Where's the fruit? Five more verses. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son up upon the altar? What James is saying is Abraham proved his faith by being obedient to God and bringing his son Isaac to the altar for a sacrifice is the ultimate test of that faith. Verse 22, Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Ye see then, how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Because the scriptures say that we are justified by faith, right? Is, is James contradicting, contradicting the scriptures? No. He's simply saying, yes, you're justified by faith, but if it's real, there'll be some proof of it. There'll be some works with it. It's worthless to say, I believe in God, and then live like the world. Even the demons believe in one God. Verse 25, Likewise, was also not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out for another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So he's saying, this is the best comparison. When the spirit leaves the body, you have a body there, but it's dead. Right? It's worthless at that point. It has no use. The, the spirit has left. So is faith without works. And in fact, the argument is very clear that you can't 
not have one without the other because true faith brings forth action. Actions matter. They demonstrate what you truly believe. And James does a better job of saying that than I ever could. That is our study to start this week. May you go forth and do something this week. May you demonstrate what you truly believe by your actions. By your actions. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.